Today's episode of The Ringer NFL Show is brought to you by Spotify and The Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find The Ringer Fantasy Football Show with our good friends, Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, and Craig Rollback. We spun our fantasy football podcast to its own feed. We'll be with you all season long for fantasy advice, and I'll even make a guest appearance every now and then. I heard that on today's episode, they're going to break down what happens if you're cramming for your draft, what you need to know. I certainly need to know that since I have really devoted my life to fantasy in a long time. So I've been, I'm going to cram 10 years of knowledge into this draft. So check it out. Sunday is your even more fun day when you have NFLSundayTicket.tv. Why only watch one Sunday out of market game when you can watch all of them? Catch it all with NFLSundayTicket.tv. Sunday games are like snacks. The more the better. So don't miss a single one with NFLSundayTicket.tv. Good news, NFL fans. DirecTV has expanded the service. If you live in an apartment or big city where DirecTV service is not available, you can now get NFL Sunday Ticket without a satellite. To see if you're eligible, go online to NFLSundayTicket.tv and stream every NFL Sunday Ticket game this season to follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code THERINGER at checkout to save 15%. Today's episode is brought to you by Heineken. Figuring out how to beat the heat for Labor Day weekend this year, try an ice-cold Heineken. I've been drinking Heineken during the NBA playoffs, really enjoying them both. Regular Heineken and Heineken 0.0, can't recommend it enough. Perfect beer to sit back and watch hoops at my house. Heineken Original Lager is made with natural ingredients with pure malt and their famous A yeast, which makes Heineken an all-season, all-the-time kind of beer. Pick up a pack or have it delivered this Labor Day weekend and drink responsibly. It's the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joined today by the NFL Network and Fox's Peter Schrager to talk about everything. The Chiefs, Cowboys, Patriots, Dark Horse MVP candidates, and basically everything else. So here's Peter. Okay, Peter Schrager, good morning football, media star, Fox. This is going to be a a very strange television year, Peter Schrager. Oh my gosh, it's so weird. Um, So I work for the NFL Network and Fox, and pulling the curtain back, we just, for both companies, the last two weeks, Kev, we had our, what they call a seminar, and they kind of have the NFL speak to us about protocols and what's what's going to be like on game day and broadcasting. And I think the viewers at home are in for a different experience. I don't think it's necessarily bad and it's all necessary, but like typically it would be like here, look, sideline reporters, the coaches, they, they usually just want one question, not two. Can we keep it to a minimum this time around? It was like, here's where the sideline reporter is going to be located. Here is how we're going to do COVID testing. Like I, fascinating, different deal for TV and how we're going to be a working these games on the TV side and be how you, the viewers at home are going to watch them. What, where's the sideline reporter going to be? All right. So I, I don't know if I'm revealing government secrets yet or not, but they're not on the field to start the season. So let's take Aaron Andrews, for example, she will be in one of the first two rows of the stadium and she will have access to different things, but she can't do like usually that job. Aaron's able to talk to the trainer the second there's an injury and be right on They say, Hey, Roger sprained his ankle. I spoke with the trainer whatever. That's going to be a little bit delayed. And there's going to be a lot of assistance from the public relations team. And then also what you can do, but like you're seeing these interviews at the end of the NBA games where it's like, you know, the, the guy, Jared Greenberg, I, I am new to him. He's doing a lot of these post-game interviews. He's got the mask on and he's got the long microphone yeah, that's six, six feet, feet apart. Away. Yeah. And I think, I don't even think Aaron or any of the sideline reporters are going to be able to 
do a interview on the field during the game or even after the game. So I, it's going to be very different from that. And then from the broadcast standpoint, you know, usually the play-by-play guy takes a stroll around the field before the yeah. game. Like, you know, Kevin Burkhart's talking to Eli Manning or Daniel Jones in this case, getting a good 40 minutes with him. Charles Davis is, is with Matt Ryan and Matt Ryan's father two hours beforehand. I don't think as of now, the play-by-play guys and the color guys are going to be allowed to stroll the field and do their usual due diligence beforehand. Again, you, the viewer might not notice any of that. You're going to notice no fans and the sound noise, but like stuff for the information on the broadcast. That's, that's, that's huge. Because I do not work in television, I have not really spent that much time pregame on a field, and I was lucky enough to do it before uh, Chiefs-Titans playoff game this year. Awesome. The amount of knowledge Mm. that you can get just from random people, not random, but football people in the one hour before the game on the field is unbelievable. It is unbelievable. I had no idea. Look, I think your relationships around the league are unparalleled. I think if you also had access to that, it, it takes like that because that was me. I was writing for all these years and then I got put on the sidelines and I quickly realized that there's two things that I get everything from production meetings, which yeah. is when we get to meet with the quarterbacks one on one on a Friday and then pregame. Like I remember I did Bill's Patriots this year before the game. It was a Saturday night game on NFL Network to Rico and Warner in the booth on the sideline reporter. But I got there two hours early. I had a 20-minute talk with Brady. I had a 15-minute yeah. talk with Kraft. Josh Allen and Brandon Bean, the GM of the Bills, and I are just talking in a three-person conversation while they're warming up. like that. And then I use that for, for everything moving forward. Yeah. Like Josh Allen will know that we spoke, and I'm you know, not full of shit when I'm talking on air because I spoke to him. You know, it's, it's all the access in the world. And I think a lot of that's going to be restricted this year for right reasons, but it's just unfortunate for those of us who like to get little news nuggets. Yeah, no, it's it was uh it was an amazing, I don't know, 45 minutes, whatever it was on Arrowhead. And just even being around Patrick Mahomes in a competitive environment because I when when I'm around Mahomes, whenever yeah. that is, he's sitting in Brad Gee's office and he's got his foot on the yeah. table and he's hanging out and and what you know, hasn't been I haven't spent all that much time with him, but it's in a very, you know, Tuesday Wednesday environment to see Mahomes locked in from 10 feet away. And ready to play a playoff game was legitimately an awesome experience. So let's get to the Chiefs. Which is, wait, which is why I was always critical in my own head of like some of the reports you get on the, on the sidelines. And I, I can't even name a name, but it's like, if you're referring to a Washington Post article from Tuesday as your sideline report during the game, right? Like, that means you didn't do the work the day of, which is what it should be. It should be like what you're seeing now and what we're getting as opposed to, there was an interesting article on Mike Evans, uh, you know, on Wednesday in the Tampa Tribune. And let me explain what that was, you know, that there's no place for yeah. that there. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, just the observation part of it is so powerful uh, yeah. on, on the sideline. And it's a shame we won't get that as much this year. All right. So let's talk about the Chiefs. Yeah, Speaking yeah. of Patrick Mahomes in a competitive environment. So Andy <laughs> Reid and Brett Veach get, Dueling extensions through 2025. Mahomes, we already know, got a 10-year, $503 million extension. I think Andy's not getting $50 million a year on average, but if he asks for it, I might think about giving him $50 million a year. I'm curious, Peter, when you think about this Chiefs team, and we, we both know some, some folks in, in this organization, but from a big-picture standpoint, now that we know what the core looks like, they're yeah. not going to screw up the veach reed Mahomes trifecta there. Chris Jones is in the fold. Tyreek Hill is in the fold. Travis Kelsey in the fold. We know this. Why do the chiefs work 
And I know the simple answer is Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, but when you think about that organization, why why is this all rowing in the right direction where some organizations have screwed this up? Yeah, and it wasn't always that way. There used to be a stigma right. that the Chiefs did not take care of their players and that you know they were, you know, they weren't this organization that was everyone wanted to be at. I think it all starts and it doesn't start with Andy. It doesn't start with Clark. It doesn't start with Veach. I think it all starts with Mahomes. Like people want to play mm-hmm. for him and people want to play with him. And he's as much of his contract was, he's the most selfless superstar in the league. He loves his teammates and he's like fun to be around. So you start with that. He gets his contract. And I think the dominoes went from there, but the chiefs work because let's take example, the, the chronological order of how this all went down. Right? So Mahomes gets his deal. It's a massive deal, but really, and I don't like going this route and looking at the numbers, but like it doesn't cripple the team in the short Mm -hmm. term. It's a long-term deal. Kelsey takes a deal that's below market. Sammy Watkins restructures his deal. Everyone kind of shortly thereafter followed. And I like that Brett and Andy didn't announce their deals or didn't do their deals until all of the players got done and got their deals. That goes a long way. And I'm not comparing it to other teams, but, you know, if there's contract stuff going on with the players and the GM is getting his extension beforehand, it's natural for them to say, well, wait a second, before you get yours, can we take care of mine? Um, this was chronologically exactly how they planned it out and they both got taken care of. But people want to play for the Kansas City Chiefs. Like it's a place where you go there and it's like a warm, loving, nurturing organization. And that coach dating back to, you know, Green Bay to Philly to whatever, you won't find a player say a bad thing about Big Red. I will say, you said you didn't want to compare it to other teams as far as the, the chronology of the extensions. In 2010, the New York Jets were negotiating with Darrell Revis in one of the most heated contract battles I can remember, mm-hmm. also with Nick Mangold and David Harris. And in the middle of that negotiation, they, they extended their coach and GM, yeah. and they might as well have dropped an atomic bomb in the locker room. It matters. And the agents see it and the players see it. And it's like with rolled eyes. And yeah, I don't know. I think I think that should be the way it goes. I also think Veach is a really good GM for Andy Reid. And I think that he's got confidence. And, you know, remember, he before he was even a starter, Mahomes, uh, Veach said he was one of the best players he'd ever seen. Yeah, you were he got on roasted for it. He got roasted for it. I remember that, and and he he does he does bring that up sometimes. The, that yeah. that that reaction. He should. He wears it on his sleeve. He should. Yes, I, I yes exactly. And I think that with Andy, you know, I, I think that Andy is it makes a lot of a lot of decisions and and is a powerful voice. But to have someone like Veach who's going to work alongside of him, like I remember one time Pete Carroll saying, I think it was an owners meeting. He said that him and John Schneider have literally never disagreed on anything. <laughs> and I think that's really hard. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but he, he he says it's true. And But I think it's really hard to find a really good working relationship like that when there's a powerful head coach. And if you've got it, you, you've you've got to you've got to maintain it. I, I also think that there's a, a deal with how these marriages are made. And right. a lot of times it's like, all right, we're going to hire this hotshot GM and we already have our coach or we have our coach and we're going to go hire an unknown GM or we have our GM. We're going to go hire a coach like. Veach would be the first to tell you, like, he doesn't have a job in the NFL without Andy Reid. Back right. in Philly, like, he Back was Philly, his yeah. his assistant, and he worked up and they had all their guys with Howie Roseman and all the different people there. But when he goes to Kansas City, he takes Veach with him, and Veach is an assistant to the assistant, then moves up to the assistant to John Dorsey, and then Veach is, like, just a rising guy. But Andy Reid has always had his eye on Brett Veach and is always taking care of him. So by the time he is the general manager, it's like they're speaking the same language and there's an undying loyalty. So many of these GM 
coach power struggles, whether it be Grigson and Pagano or it yeah. be Lovey Smith and Jason Light. It's guys that never knew each other. And it's just like, we're matching you guys together. Go for it. Or McCagnan and Gase, which lasted about four months. You know, it just wasn't going to happen. Gase and anybody. Um, yeah. All right. So I think that it, it, what, what's interesting to me, also, by the way, Veach uh, hooked up Matt Nagy with the job as well. Yes, so there's did. a whole web here. And he was a very good offensive coordinator. And we'll see about head coach going forward. Um, the last time <laughs> I was coach reading the year. I was reading about Andy Reid's uh, extension and I stumbled across the fact that the last time they extended him was 2017. And on that same day, they fired John Dorsey, wow. which the Chiefs are in a very different place from that. Yeah. Um, that was NBA draft day. I'll never forget NBA draft day. What? Why do you remember that? Because I'll tell you why. Because I'm watching SportsCenter or something and it's right before the draft and I see that they fired Dorsey and I'm, I love Dorsey. I've known him for years and I'm like, what? And then I'm like, I need more analysis. It's a pro-Dorsey podcast. Yeah, I need need more analysis on this and SportsCenter cuts out to a four-hour preview of like, you know, here's Luol Dang or whoever it was like doing a reverse layup and Bill Simmons and Mike Schmitz or whatever that guy's name is breaking it down. Like, but I remember being like, give me more Dorsey contract talk. What just happened? Yes. It's the NBA draft. Amazing. Yeah. Who do you think they took that year? Who do you think they took? They drafted Jonathan Isaac with the sixth overall pick. Markel Fultz was the first overall pick. We got two of the top six picks in that draft, baby. And and one of them is now what he Isaac didn't finish the season right he got injured and then Fultz actually had a big breakout year, he did but I but Isaac is is out for next year they they, they announced that yesterday so it's uh, it's not what you, it's not what you want and also he's a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate when healthy and I just I don't want to talk. we're gonna derail the podcast if I start getting no 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 I have trivia for you it brings it back to the NFL okay. And you okay. definitely know this, but it, it's going to eventually be the Clayton Kershaw, Matt Stafford thing. I, I, I know where you're going with this. Who in the NFL as a rookie was high school teammates with Markel Fultz? Yeah. yeah, Chase Young. There you go. Chase Young. We're in. And what's, what's crazy about, about that is, I mean, there's a lot of things. Uh, number one is that neither of them went to University of Maryland. Yeah, that's by, terrible recruiting. I, yeah. I, I, I come from a Maryland family so do i yeah yeah, that's just that's just not what you want um all right so now that we know what the the (laughs) chiefs look like through 2025 and may read i guess there were stories he'd committed to mahomes through that contract or whatever this run that they're on right now what's the over under on super bowls for them I hate doing it because I thought Seattle would run off five or six. Like, and I, I you don't know, no, but five would, or six. I mean, I at least thought one more for Seattle, but then they got to the one, the literal one, <laughs> literal and figurative one yard. I line. know. And they never got back, but like Russell Wilson was 25 years old and all those guys were happy in the defensive backfield. And then everyone wanted to get paid and it all came crumbling down. But I would say the chiefs, the over under for more, I would say two is fair. Like at least one I more. And I think this year, and I think they get one more because of Mahomes's contract, but Here's the thing with the Chiefs. Not only do they bring back Mahomes and they found a way to make it out with Watkins and all these guys, like the enemy's back, Spagnolo's back, Mike yep. Kafka, who's the quarterback's coach, is back. They bring back all the defensive assistants. Like there's no brain drain, which we usually see. Remember when the Eagles won the Super Bowl? That next season, they lost Reich, they lost uh, John Filippo. they lost all these coaches. Like the Chiefs bring back every coach, too. It's crazy that Eric Bienemy didn't get a job, but guess what? He's back with the Chiefs and he's going to be doing the same exact thing and they speak the same language and they'll be calling plays from the Rose Bowl from 1940 again. 
All right. So, so uh, by the way, I like I kind of like John DiFilippo as quarterbacks coach with the Bears. I feel like I love maybe maybe he wasn't an offensive coordinator the last couple of years um, with the Vikings and the Jaguars. Maybe that wasn't a good fit, but I like him down with, with, with Matt Nagy. I think that can work. Uh, if there's anyone that you perceive as a threat from just a, a model franchise standpoint to the Chiefs, is it the Ravens or is, it, is there another franchise where you're like, oh man, I'd circle them as maybe in the next two, three years to, to start building yeah. up a really, really good team. Baltimore really, really believes like in their whole mantra of like, be like a Raven and all that stuff. Like once players buy into that and they're so young and then this year they brought in Campbell, which I think is like the perfect veteran guy to like be with them that I think Baltimore great franchise and they could constantly be in that conversation. I would look to the NFC though. And I do look at the 49ers and they've got a similar deal where like head coach and general manager are secure. The quarterback, we'll see what happens with his next contract, but like, the defense is great. It's young. It's loaded. And they've got that kind of deal where it's like Niners nation, the whole deal, the faithful. Yeah. And like they buy into that. They love it. Yeah. And so I think that what's interesting as far as Shanahan goes is that like Andy Reid, he's one of the best play. They're, they're the two best play callers in the game. I don't yes. think that that's much up for debate. The difference is the quarterback. I think that there's a baseline and there's a, I don't, by the way, it goes without saying that's a huge difference, yeah. but I think there's a baseline with Reed and Mahomes where I don't care what other 52 people are on the roster. When those two guys are together, they're going to be a good team. I don't, they're not a Super Bowl contender if they don't have the other guys, but they're going to be able to score points with Mahomes and Reed. I don't necessarily know if that's the case in San Francisco just because they just don't have, surprise, the best quarterback in football. I guess you could say they need... When you don't have the best quarterback in football, you need more help. And, and luckily, they've hit on... Guys like Debo Samuel, guys like, you know, guys like George Kittle. I mean, they, they, they've got a team there. Yeah. And they've missed on some free agents and they've still been able to find guys later in the draft. I, here's the thing with, with Garoppolo. I don't know if we, and I, and I'm not like a Garoppolo, I wouldn't die on that hill, but because they beat the Packers by so many points and they relied on the run. I think people hold that against him that he only attempted eight passes and it's like, Oh man, they were scared to throw the ball, but they were up 38 to seven and they were running the ball down a team's throat. Isn't that what we want? You know? And then against the Vikings, he didn't throw the ball a ton in the playoffs, but they won. They blew him out. I Kev, I mean, they go into new Orleans, they're losing in the final minutes. He leads them back and finds a way they go into Seattle on a week 17 game where they never win in Seattle they go in and he finds a way. And of course the defense stepped up and Dre Greenlaw makes the big tackle at the end. But like, I don't know if we should be so sure that like Garoppolo can't get the job done. If that Super Bowl ends a little differently and they're up 10 points, I don't blame Garoppolo that pass to Emmanuel Sanders, whatever. That's a deep 50 yard pass. It might happen. It might not. And if Sanders is faster, maybe he catches it. Who knows? But if they win the Super Bowl, I still don't even know if we'd be giving credit to Garoppolo. It's just the way the framework of that team was built and the way it is. Like, I don't think anyone would be coming on, you know, a week from the season and being like Garoppolo's a top five quarterback because he won the Super Bowl. All right. So you're hosting a podcast about the Rams. Your expectations for this team are what? So I talked to the coaches. I talked to the coaches after the episode airs. And then I'll talk to, I talked to Kevin Demoff the pre- after they talked about SoFi Stadium. And then this week, um, Eric Weddle came out of the woodwork and he and I had a long talk about playing for both franchises, which was really interesting. I like that. Oh, yeah. well, has, is that out yet? It's not out yet. And he does not trash the Chargers. You would oh, think he would. Oh, that's where I was going to get it. into. That Vegas, Vegas yeah. took that off the board. Eric Weddle trashing I the Chargers. I, I like that. He did So he, he, he pivoted. Yeah. Okay. He talks wow. about how good a coach Anthony Lynn seems to be. And I'm like, all right, there's not going to be any shade thrown here. Okay, good. 
you've got this this knowledge on the Rams. You've been talking to folks. Your expectations for the 2020 Rams are what? Compete for a Super Bowl. That's what they expect. I could tell you that straight up. I talk to McVay pretty often, probably at least once a week. Um, they're one of these teams that like feels like they're lying in the weeds right now. And you look at them on paper, still have Jalen Ramsey, still have Aaron yeah. Donald, still have one of the best coaches in football. And they think they got better this offseason. They, I mean, these two rookies, Jefferson and Akers, I don't know what they're going to do on offense. But there's a lot on both their plates. And they have a new defensive coordinator in Brandon Staley, who's one of these John Carroll alumni. And if you don't know what that means, it's yes. a huge pipeline. I'm sure you wrote five Wall Street Journal articles in your time on the John Carroll pipeline, but it's Josh McDaniels, it's Tom Telesco, it's Dave Caldwell, it's countless others. They all, Nick Casario, they all went to John Carroll, a small D3 school. And Brandon Staley's been rising in coaching ranks. And as much as they love Coach Wade Phillips, and he was great in the Super Bowl and all this stuff, like, Brandon Staley's got that youthful energy that matches McVay's and they're confident that they're not only going to compete in the NFC West, but that this is a team that could win the Super Bowl this year because they were there two years ago and they feel like they're a better team now. You want to hear a crazy story about the John Carroll thing? Yeah. So after, so 2013 or 2014, the draft was in New York back when okay. they started traveling. And after the first round or the second or third round, I went out with a couple of writers mm-hmm. and we went to a bar, one of those bars like Rosie O'Grady, you know, those midtown bars, they all run yeah, together. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was in Times Square. Okay. And I remember and it was really late. So it was a completely different scene than a normal Times Square bar. And it was also just right near Radio City Music Hall. And we're all, it's like four or five of us that were talking about the John Carroll connection and how they <laughs> know a each cool other. Convo. Well, no, no, it was, it was, I think there, <laughs> I get there it, were some insiders it. there and yeah. we were talking about it. And, and the bartender, goes bill polian baby and i kind of look at him we all look at him and we're like what is this and he's like i went to john carroll with those guys too as what did everybody but me go to john carroll john carroll small town in ohio i think it's at and bill polian might be the godfather of it all because telesco worked for him like there's right. a, there's a right. crazy that's why the, bar- and the bartender knew this Bartender, obviously, he's slinging drinks in Times Square after people are going to see uh, Les Miserables, and he also is a Bill yeah. Pullian. There you go. Dude, he was all over it. I love um, it. What needs to go right for the Rams? What's their path to the Super Bowl? Is that Obviously, it's offensive line improvement. But it's it's yeah. run game. I know we, we all make fun of the run game in the NFL now, but it still is important, especially if you're Sean McVay. What, what, what is the path? Yeah, and the defense has to be better. As good as those names are, you lose Corey Littleton, you lose some guys like – the defense has to step up last year. They had games where they're playing against the uh, San Francisco 49ers on a Saturday night. And it's, they they're in this game, their playoffs hopes are still alive and they give up two 20 yard plays. Like the defense needs to shore itself up. McVay needs to get the juice back because I think he started the year doing real sports and everyone loving Sean McVay. And then by the end of the season, it was like, all right, Kyle Shanahan's the offensive genius. Yeah. And if it's not him, it's, it's one of these others, Matt LaFleur, whoever. So I think there's a little bit of this, like, let's get our groove back. What needs to go right is the Niners need to come back down to earth. The Cardinals can't have this giant leap and the Seahawks can't be uh, back to their old form. They've got to have a little step back also. I think the Rams are right in that conversation. I wouldn't be shocked if they did win the division. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Heineken, figuring out how to beat the heat for Labor Day weekend this year. Whether you're headed outside safely or staying indoors, be sure to enjoy the always seasonal Heineken original lager. I've been drinking these things pretty much the entire NBA playoffs. I've been drinking Heineken for a long time, but I've really been focusing on my Heineken drink in the last couple of weeks during the NBA playoffs. It is a great beer to be outside, my back porch, inside, watching the game, whatever it is, I, I go to Heineken. Heineken original lager is made with natural ingredients with pure malt and their famous A yeast, which makes Heineken an all-season, all-the-time kind of beer. Savor the last days of summer with an ice-cold, crisp Heineken, the perfect way to cap the last moments of summer. Pick up a pack or have it delivered this Labor Day weekend and drink responsibly. We're entering the final stretch before the Derby, and TVG is your shot at the winner's circle. Whether you're new to horse racing or a lifelong handicapper, TVG has two great ways to win that you won't want to miss. First off, TVG is letting new users bet the Derby risk-free. Just sign up with promo code RINGER, then place your first single horse win bet. TVG will give you up to $200 in site credit if you don't win. But that's not all. Both new and existing players can take advantage of TVG's money-back special on Derby Day. That's your chance to get refunded up to $10 in site credit if your horse comes in second or third on select races all day Saturday. TVG has all the tools to help you tackle the Derby, from free picks to past performances, on a trustworthy app that's super easy to use. See for yourself. Download the TVG app today and sign up with promo code RINGER to bet the Derby. Age and residency restrictions apply. New users only. Refund issued as non-refundable site credit that expires after 30 days. See terms at tvg.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Joe Judge. So. I'll love it. Love it. I, 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 I'm starting to love it too. So I said on this podcast a couple weeks ago, and we talked to Dominic Foxworth about this on Friday, I tend to think that all the things he's doing right now don't necessarily matter. Like, I think that the default is for people to roll their eyes and say, you know, this is hurting the team or veterans are not going to respond to this. But I actually just don't, I don't think that, that they care that much. I think that they, what they want to do is they want to be put in position to win. And if that is happening, that they'll buy in. Like, I think that's the mm-hmm. bottom line. I think buy-in is completely different from the, how someone treats the media or how somebody, you know, puts jerseys on or, or, or numbers on jerseys or whatever. Uh, I don't, I think it's two separate categories and wins and losses are not, are not earned that way. Uh, what are you hearing about the giants and, and that, that, that buy-in right now? All right. Uh, you were in the New York market for a long time. And if you look at the jets head coaches over the two thousands, it was these giant pendulum swings of personality. It was like Herm Edwards is the most affable, lovable guy. And then we go with Eric Mangini, right. Who was like all business Belichick. And then Rex Ryan is this big ball of personality. He's going to wear masks and all this stuff. And then Todd Bowles, which is a great defensive coach, but it's not exactly going to do a song and dance for you. This is what the giants did. They went to a totally different personality from McAdoo and from Shermer. And I think it's working early with the players. The players are sick of losing and they're too young to know otherwise. They see this guy and at first you can roll your eyes and say, okay, he's not going to say Saquon Barkley's name, which is what he said to me at the combine. He's like, I'm not looking to name these guys by name yet. I don't know them. Like just ridiculous things that you're like, what are you talking about? But then you hear that Saquon Barkley ran a lap at practice last week and that happened. He made a mistake and not because there was a whistle blown at him and saying, go run. It's because he had the wrong pass protection and Saquon was like, ah, shit, I messed up. All right, I'm going to go run a lap and set the set the standard for everyone else. They like him. He's got a sense of humor. I, you're seeing it sort of, but 
I've gotten to know him a little bit, not as incredibly well because the Patriots keep their assistant coaches under lock and key. You can't even get to know sure them. Do. So once they are out into the, uh, into the wild, as I would say, like they're all like almost like deer in the woods. Like, all right, now who, what, who do I trust? What do I trust? Some of them don't talk to any media. Others do try to make the efforts. I really went out of my way in the combine at the combine to try to get to know them and talk with them. We had uh, an appearance on good morning football kept in touch a little bit, but like everything that comes out of his mouth is authentic. Everything that seems to be what he's spitting to these players, he packs up with actual empirical data and they have bought in now, granted this is September 1st or September 2nd. Like I will see if they go zero and four and are getting blown out. No one's running laps. Like the players don't want to see that, but very young team, really good core of guys. I don't know if you've been in the Giants locker room the last two years, but like, not no. that the, the, the guys previously oh, yeah, were bad guys, say, yeah. but like you're talking about great dudes. Like Saquon's a great guy and Daniel Jones is a great guy and right down to Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram. Like these are like good, good young men and, and they're, they want to win. So I think it is going to work. And at the very least, I know they've bought in as they're starting the season. Like I don't see a, I don't have a vision of Pittsburgh coming in there and just beating the shit out of them week one. I just don't see that. I see the Giants being disciplined and smart. And they might not have the best talent on defense, but they're going to hang in there in a lot of games. I will say they do a good job. And I was thinking about this, this with when Judge started his, his shtick a couple weeks ago. But the Giants, when you're in that building, and I was there last summer, I don't go there that often um, just be, for, for a bunch of reasons. But I like being in that building. And they do a really good job of making it kind of a family. Like, they, it really is. It's so low-key inside that building. Like, I, I remember, I've talked about this before, but remember Eli Manning, it's about 10 feet away from me last year. And he was just sitting there. And this is a guy who's, you know, might be a Hall of Fame quarterbacks, won two Super Bowls, made literally hundreds of millions of dollars. And he's sitting there with the PR staff and they're just doing like uh, wedding congratulations videos for people he doesn't know. And <laughs> yeah. but they're like friends of, I don't know, whomever in the yeah, Giants yeah, yeah. organization. This happens all the time. And he's yeah. just like sitting there and he's just like, hey, thank you so much for your support of the Giants. Congratulations on your big day. He's just rolling through them like he couldn't have been happier to do it. And that's the standard. I remember when Andrew Luck came into the NFL too, like Peyton set the standard of just everyone's just going to be casual and cool in Indianapolis. Right. And Andrew Luck had even, you know, even though he was casual and cool, it was the expectation that you had to be. So, you know, you're with the media in the hallways, all that stuff. And I kind of feel like that the previous generation of giants um, players and stars has set it up to where I think that uh, the giants organization and, and, and inside those hallways is a more calm, casual environment than most places. Yeah. And, and you think about it, it is a family business, but I'm talking even very recent history. Like I see David deal in those hallways all the time. Sean O'Hara is there all the time. Yep. Um, you know, Eli for, for whatever you're talking about, like very similar stories. We'd be in the cafeteria. And when you do sidelines for a giants game, you basically eat with the team in the cafeteria on yeah. a Friday and you're eating there and Eli's sitting with Davis Webb and they're just bullshitting together. And it's not like Eli's in a bubble and being catered to in a different way. Like, no, he's eating a salad that he, got himself. And I think that's kind of the mantra of the Giants, blue collar, New York, tough, that whole thing. And gosh, Joe Judge fits that to a T. The media is still a little skeptical, I think. The fan base, though, seems to be all in on Joe Judge. And I think that's a major win early. As much as we don't win on the press conferences and all that stuff, like coming from Schirmer and coming from McAdoo yeah. to see that hardline stuff, it's very Parcells and it's very Coughlin. And I think it's very authentic. 
Yeah, no, I, the fan base is super duper in on Joe Judge again because he's not those two guys, and I that that's that's when they, they live through those two regimes. I think that they'll they'll take any hard ass that's available. All right, yeah. let's stick with the NFC East that division. Okay. The last couple of days, it was hard for me to differentiate between the Cowboys and the Eagles at the top of that division, and I was doing the cop out thing where I was I said they were both going to win double digit games, and then you know week sixteen, week seventeen, there'd be some breaks, and one of those teams would win the division. Now that I see the injury problems with Philadelphia, I'm starting to come around on Dallas, but I'm still really, really concerned about any new coach taking over, especially when he's going against a really good coach in Doug Peterson. NFC yeah. East, help me decide. I think you're like me, where these preseason prognostications where people might just fill out a bit, like, I labor over them, Kevin. Like, labor over them. I don't labor over them because I'm a massive fraud, and I just, uh, I just cop out until the season starts, and then I can just play every side. Yeah, yeah, because of the thing, because I, I feel like it's almost like a cold take or whatever. So like, pick your division winner in the AFC East. Like, I, I, I like lose sleep on it. I can't do it because <laughs> a, I don't want to get it wrong, and b, I don't want to offend the three teams I didn't pick. Right. Like, I would say the Cowboys have to have the edge with the Jalen Rager injury, the Andre Dillard injury, and there are question Brandon marks Brooks all over the place. And when I mean, I, I have no idea what we're getting from the Eagles. I'll tell you this. Up until a week ago, I talked to a lot of people in the Eagles organization, and they loved the fact that everyone was talking about C.D. Lamb because Jalen Rager was having an incredible summer. Yeah. That is a rookie receiver. You don't hear that often. Usually it takes them a little time, especially in this abridged preseason and abri- or abridged summertime. Um, I would say the Cowboys have the edge, and not only do they have the edge, they have an incredible burden and pressure on them that I don't think the Eagles necessarily have. I feel like this is such a make or break year for the Cowboys, even with a first year coach. It just seems like Dak's contract, Jerry's going to be in the media a whole bunch, especially with an election coming up and his voices and what the world is going through right now. I I just find this to be a fascinating year for the Cowboys. And yet they have so much talent. I have to think they've got the edge going into the season. We have a podcast coming up on Friday. This will run on Wednesday with Bob Sturm and Brian Curtis, and we get into the Jerry Jones in an election year narrative, which I, I find to be one of the most, I don't, I don't know if it's interesting. It, it is going, it is potentially, there's a huge variance in how that storyline plays out. I guess we'll leave it at that. You guys can listen to that on Friday. I want to listen to it, but like I, I'll give I'll break, I'll break the fourth wall. Like we do good morning football on the NFL network. And there's always, it's never been explicitly said, but I'm always careful with what I say, knowing that, this is the NFL's network, but you know, yeah. hell, after the summer we've been through, I've just been talking candidly. I've been talking raw and I'm yeah. fascinated to see how this goes down in Dallas because where so many owners have been out in front over the past few weeks on the social issues, Jerry hasn't been taken to the mat and he certainly hasn't stepped up and, and offered any comments that have been different than what he's had in the past. So I'm just interested to see as the election nears, how that goes with not only the media world, but like how that plays out in the field and the locker room and the way we cover this team. And it's going to be interesting. Yeah, no. And just very quickly, you know, I made this point on the Friday pod, but when Dominic Fox was on this podcast last week, he said, kneeling no longer makes people uncomfortable. Uh, kneeling is actually a mainstream act now was his point. And that there's going to be, if players want to protest this year, it's going to go beyond kneeling. And so I think that whether or not Jerry Jones, how he deals with the kneeling, I think is a separate issue from how he deals with whatever form protest takes in the 2020 NFL season. And I think it's going to be very interesting. And yeah. every single uh, franchise will, will handle it differently. And I think it's got, you know, in an election year, as you said, it's, it's got a real chance to be a dominant storyline this year. So yeah. yeah. We'll see what happens. Uh, NFC North, same question. I, I, again, 
I, I see this bunched up. You have had you've been on the net Matthew Stafford hype train, same as me. Yeah. Yeah. Anything there from a team standpoint, or is this just Matthew Stafford is going to live his best life this year and and have a great season and, and be in a good offense and they won't reach the level of Packers, maybe Vikings, even the Bears? I think the cohesion of this team and that they all seem to be on board. And I'm not saying Darius Slay and Glover Quinn and whoever else have been there in the past were me first guys by any means. It's just that mm-hmm. it seems like everyone who's there right now is all in and has bought into Patricia. And Patricia can be an odd duck sometimes from what you hear from the players. Like he's, he, yeah. but, but after you see what they did this, this summer and, you know, beyond the canceling the practice, they were having Zoom sessions daily, just talking about life and everything. And it feels like everyone's all in on each other. And, you know, I got a chance to speak to Stafford last week. He's healthy. His back feels fine. He's throwing the ball well. He's excited about DeAndre Swift. He's excited about Galladay. Like, if ever there was a year that the Lions can say, okay, look, we all get along. We're in games every year. Stafford's awesome. Let's just put it together. I would say it's in a year where there's been no preseason, no training camp. And I don't know idea what I'm getting from that Vikings defensive backfield, which mm-hmm. lost everybody on that cornerback. I don't know what I'm getting from the Packers after the way they ended the season last year against the 49ers. And the bears are as big a question mark as the lions. So am I so high on the lions where I would pick them to represent the NFC North in the playoffs? Not necessarily, but I don't think it's crazy if you were to say lions could win that division this year. All right. Give us a super bowl contender that we're not talking about enough. That's Super Bowl contender in the Peter Schrager book, but not necessarily in the NFL show book just yet. Okay, this is like so meta. Um, the New England Patriots are my team that no Yo, one's talking about. Oh, yes. Right Perfect. Absolutely. That's exactly what I want. I didn't even know that was coming. I didn't even think I needed that take. And now I want that take. Give it to me. The New England Patriots are quietly having an incredible summer camp. I hear from dispatches out there. They love their young team. They love these guys. Belichick is happy and light. McDaniels is calling things that he's never called in his career. Jed Fish has been added to the offense. They've got a quarterback coach who is a true quarterback coach working with Cam day and night. And they love being the hunters, not the hunted. I mean, you please hand the Buffalo Bills a division while Belichick is still on this earth. Please go ahead, media. Go and do that. I think that the Chiefs are mighty good and the Ravens are great and the Steelers are going to bounce back and they're going to, but gosh, I've never seen a New England Patriots team coached by Belichick that has been underdogs and been ruled out before the season started. I'm actually excited. I think they might be really good this year, really fun to watch, which they haven't been the past few years. All those opt-outs, that hurts. They still have the best defensive backfield in all of football and they're loaded and that's, that's, I'll put them against anyone. And I think Cam Newton, if he's healthy, could be a fun watch. So Patriots, Super Bowl contenders. It's crazy to say because everyone has treated the last six months like it's doom and gloom up there, but they're actually pretty light and pretty optimistic. There's about 75 people on the entire internet who get insanely mad when the ringer talks about how good the Patriots are because they think it's yeah. some weird Boston conspiracy, even though almost none of us are from Boston. <laughs> it's um, one of you guys. Bosses. One of, yeah, one <laughs> of us is. And... Uh, and, and, but I don't, when, I, when I'm supporting the Patriots from a football standpoint, it's no bias because, it's because they're the best, most impressive dynasty the sport has ever seen in the salary cap era and all that stuff. And so I like driving those 75 people crazy. And so I love unveiling in the first year, the Patriots might not win the Super Bowl. I love unveiling 
The Patriots are plucky underdogs, and, 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 and they're plucky under. They're the hunter, not the hunted. Yeah, it's true though. It's a great take, and, and I it's love like, this. It's something you can rally around. Like I could easily come on and talk about the Browns' offensive line, or we could talk about Tampa or whatever. Like, I, are you betting against Belichick? Week one, they play the Dolphins. Week one, I know they lost the Dolphins last year. Are you, are you picking against Belichick yeah, when they play they the lost Bills? To the Dolphins because they were the hunted, not the hunter, Peter. Exactly. You got to go with they the motif. They didn't motifs. have that mentality. They didn't have that mentality. All right, uh, MVP candidate, dark horse, hit us. Stafford. Oh my god! I Let's go. This. I love this. Stafford. I, I, so, um, what is uh, what is the path for Stafford? Is that Daryl Bevel as a play caller? Is that um, I mean, I do think that they have an intriguing roster. Yeah, that they've got really good weapons, and he's been really good for a long time. They just don't win games. Like, right. been to the playoffs three times with Stafford, but you never really feel like they're a contender. And last year, eight weeks through the season, he was putting up better numbers than everyone, but they were losing and tying games in, like, crazy fashion. The Chiefs game, yeah. the Cardinals game, just bizarre, bizarre games. He's healthy. He's always been good. He loves his receivers. They've been there a couple of years now. And I don't know about the NFC North. So if the Lions are to win the division, which is not crazy to me, and they go 11 and 5 and 12 and 4, and Matt Stafford has this amazing comeback year from a season ending injury, gosh, he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league this entire time. Now it's his turn. I, the similar comparison would be like his buddy, Matt Ryan, who just yeah. it clicked that year, you know, and it was like Matt Ryan's always been good, but now he's great. I feel like it could be Stafford this year. I will say this is the last thing we'll get into the viral video of him throwing the ball and people being like, they said Matthew Stafford can't sling it like this. Nobody was saying this. No one. Everyone knows. There's an entire wing of the internet that is based on just putting random videos up of sports figures and then just a huge straw man as the caption. Straw man arguments. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's yeah. really amazing. It's just yeah, like. They called they, him a bust. And you're like, no, yeah, no they, one's called him a bust. <laughs> they said Saquon Barkley couldn't run. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me? Yeah, exactly right. All right. Peter Schrager, anything else? No, man, I'm excited to read your stuff and I uh, will continue to do so. And I'm excited to be on the podcast, but the season, it's weird. The season starting doesn't feel like the season starting because there's no, no preseason. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if it clicks. Like I'm hoping it clicks next Thursday. Man, I don't know. The, the whole, it's been so weird and everything's been pushed back. And I don't think, yeah. and I think part of it has just been the holding pattern that everybody's in. You talk to to folks around the league. I mean, yeah. like, I just don't think anyone knows what this this year looks like. I think there's been some or a lot of, of encouraging news on the COVID testing front. But I feel like from a football standpoint, I just think because they haven't seen, you know, I think preseason games, 10 or 12 plays against another team helps the, you know, yeah. if you feel good about your team. I think there's actually in a weird way, I think it's swung the other way. I thought everybody was going to feel bad about their team because they were assuming that other teams were getting good. Uh, I think everyone everybody thinks feels extremely yeah. good. There, you look at teams like even like Carolina, who has a, yeah. a new coach, new offensive coordinator. Like I know in that building, like they don't think they're winning the Super Bowl necessarily. They wouldn't like come out and say, it, but like they think they've got something coming for the NFL that no one knows. Like everyone's got their own little feel because it's a complete element of surprise. Like who knows what Tampa Bay is going to look like? They could get blasted forty-two to ten week one against the Saints, or they could be the greatest offense we've ever seen. You know, like, we don't know. A hundred percent. And also, it's just it just gets into it's almost like college now. 
where teams and fan bases can just invent narrative pathways in their head to contention. Like I know with Miami, you know, they don't play preseason games, you know, in, in the ACC. And so I'm just like, oh man, if, if we get this, this, this and this, we're going to go into Vatek and, and, you know, if be six and whatever. makes an interception yeah. here or there, Cornell, we're in. Cornell, Cornell, speaking of Panthers. I, I hope once that first kickoff happens, all that's washed away and we're all in. Yeah. And that's my, that's, but I, but I would be, lying to you if it feels very weird a week out from the season starting and a lot of my friends being like wait they're actually playing football this year like it's still that much of a strange deal yeah that that's that's the weirdest part is i don't think anybody like i had uh my wife was trying to do something next thursday and she's like how's next thursday i'm like that's the first nfl game and she was like oh my god like that that snuck up on us all so and i don't think that that's unique so no see what happened Peter Stryker, thank you so much. It's been the Ring NFL Show on your podcast network. Thanks, bro.